0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Our Father by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you that you are always speaking to us and our prayer this morning is that our our spiritual eyes would be open to see more of you and our spiritual ears would be open to hear from you. Lord, to that end, we pray that you would allow us to see you in your word this morning. Amen. Uh, So some good news on the properties. Uh, I, I love... Uh, the diversity, like I said, that we have amongst the board and uh, the, w- we, we had to quickly weigh a lot of decisions um, and I'm thankful for every... You know, we have Wes Klein on the board because, you know, Wes just reads stuff that nobody else reads and I really appreciate that because Wes's, Wes's catchphrase is, has anybody actually read this? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, Wes, we obviously haven't. Please enlighten us and and others as well. But I was really appreciative. There was one board member, Mark Caswell. I really appreciated his comments. In, In all that we weighed up, the pros and cons, Mark finished it with, but we do serve an awesome and almighty God. So thank you for those comments, Mark, because we certainly do. We live in an age uh, where everybody wants to experience something outside of themselves. We have an intrinsic awareness inside of ourselves, as we just saw in that short clip, that there is something beyond us. Uh, I, I was talking with Ruben this week and I said, you know, we're always fascinated by trout. Uh, not because I'm uh, ex- expertly skillful in catching them, but because uh, one thing I noticed about trout, these guys, this fish is born in water, it lives its whole life in water but it has an intrinsic awareness of a realm outside of itself. It has no predators inside of water in Tasmania that it would be threatened of, but it is one of the most skittish fish you'll ever come across because they are aware of a realm outside of them in which a prey can come down and take them. Do you know mankind is like that? All of mankind is going through life, just like fish in one sense. We live in one realm, but we are keenly aware that there is a realm that lies outside of us. There is, Blaise Pascal said it beautifully when he said, we are all born with a God-shaped hole in our heart that only He can fill. And everybody tries to cram that full of everything else. And and then along comes Jesus and says, you guys are struggling to try and experience God and I want to teach you how to experience God. I I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. I want to talk to you about the Lord's Prayer. Because when it comes to experiencing God, we have the opportunity as individuals to experience God. Prayer, in my opinion, takes all of our doctrine and all of our theology and attaches it to a person. Otherwise, all you're left with are good ideas. I could preach for 12 months on prayer. It is an exhaustive subject. It was, uh, I remember the Russians were the first to put anybody in space. I can't pronounce the astronaut's name, so I'm not even going to try, because Russians don't. It's, it's an alphabet. Just take the alphabet and mix it all up. But, but when he came back, he said, you know what? He said, I've been into the heavens, and there's no God there. I couldn't find him. And C.S. Lewis wrote an essay in response to that. In 1962, he writes a response to, similar to this. And he speaks about the fact that he speaks on the basis of Shakespeare and Hamlet. He says, because this guy's saying, how could we possibly even think that we could find God or know God or experience God? And C.S. Lewis says, well, you know, uh, on the same basis, he kind of agrees. He says, you know, on the same basis of Hamlet and Shakespeare, he says, how would Hamlet ever experience Shakespeare? How could Hamlet ever know Shakespeare unless Shakespeare wrote himself into the story? And C.S. Lewis beautifully points out, 2,000 years ago, we can know God because he wrote himself into each and every one of our stories. So we can know him. We can experience God. And if we are not experiencing God, all we are left with is good ideas and theology. Charles Spurgeon said, "...the true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance." It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. And I want to talk to you about the Lord's Prayer. It's funny, isn't it? If you go anywhere in the world, basically, people could probably recite the words to the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows these words, but how distant they are from actually experiencing God. So let's have a look. Jesus wanted to teach us how to pray. So the prelude to the prayer. If you meet me in Matthew chapter 6... We start at verse 7, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to pray. In, in the greatest sermon, by the greatest preacher, the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus, he wants to teach his disciples how to pray. He says to them in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, isn't it interesting that Jesus did not say, if by chance you happen to decide to pray, he says, when you pray. This was was not a maybe, this was not something that Jesus thought would be a good idea. This is not an if you pray, but this is a when you pray. Pray, uh, Praying and prayer moves essential facts into personal experience. It takes head knowledge from here to our hearts. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me Uh, what is it? What can I possibly do to get all the information from my head to my heart? And there's one simple process and it's called meditation. It's called considering God. What did Jesus say to those? Remember those that came to him and he said, oh, you of little faith. Then what did he say? He said, consider the lilies of the field. What was their problem? You guys aren't thinking enough. What was their problem? You're not stopping and reflecting enough. Consider the lilies of the field. You're worried about what you're going to eat. Consider the lilies. They don't toil, they don't work, and yet uh, they are arrayed in more beauty than Solomon in all his splendour. And he says, consider the sparrows of the air. Are there not thousands, hundreds of thousands of them? And yet Jesus said, not one of them would fall to the ground without my father knowing. We need to consider God. We need to take time to stop and reflect on him. There's, there's a lot of people that claim that they have an experience of God that doesn't look like anything I can find in here. Today we have people making covenants with the universe, for whatever reason I will never know, This is why we have sex. This is why we have cults. This is why we have these weird and wonderful things because everybody's saying we're experiencing God and they're not laying the foundation of considering him first. Tim Keller says that all prayer should be birthed out of deep reflection on his word. That's the foundation. But when you pray, the next thing Jesus says is go into your room. If you come down a bit further, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. There is something profound about shutting physical doors that opens spiritual doors. There is something about separating yourself away from all of the distractions of the world, like we spoke about last week, that enables you to enter into a different realm. Shut the door and let it be just you and God. Go into your room. This is is not about impressing others. Does this mean we never pray in the company of other people? That's not what Jesus meant. But this isn't a show. This isn't a performance. This is communion with the creator of the universe. So go into your room and close the door. Jesus would go on to say, if we keep reading... and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. You see, prayer is not measured... It's measured in weight, not in length. And another translation would say, do not heap up vain words, and vain words are, are words without meaning. This isn't about how long you can pray. This isn't about how well you know the old King James... Of O thou Lord when thee cometh upon the cloudeth. That's not it's not about what English you're using. It's not about whether you can speak French, although there's nothing wrong with speaking French, brother. Welcome back to the front seat, I've missed you. we <coughs> we oui, oui. That's all I know, sorry. <laughs> and bonjour maybe. And bonjour. But this isn't about. This is about meaning. Remember Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, was a, a cupbearer to the Persian king, and, and the interesting thing was, if you were in that position and you had a saddened countenance, they would take your head off. You were to always be happy and always to be joyful. But the king who favoured Nehemiah, because he was a very wise servant, he said, to, he said to him, he said, I notice that your countenance is sad and what is wrong. And Nehemiah then says, I prayed to God. But what actually transpires in time is something measured in seconds. Hang on a second. Did he run to the closet and close the door? No. Did he write his prayers out and email it to the king? No. In that brief moment, he prayed to God. So this isn't measured in length. This isn't measured, it's measured in weight. And it's measured in meaning. Jesus goes on to say, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Go figure. He just might know what you need. Verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. And what Jesus is saying is, Pray in this manner. This is how we are to experience God. These are not words necessarily to be repeated and then think we've prayed. This is a model for prayer. Uh, The psalmist would encourage us all to to taste and see that the Lord is good. But uh, this is like having the cake laid before you, and Jesus says, Now here's the knife and fork so you don't make a mess of it here's what it should look like if you're going to experience God if you're going to have intimate communion with God this is what it looks like and there is some really good news that we find in the Lord's Prayer let's let's begin with the first two sentences and I want to set these first two sentences up to explain that they are our our posture in prayer The first sentence is the posture that God has placed us in. The second second sentence we will see is the posture that we are to place God in. Let's have a look at the first one. The first one says, Our Father, who art in heaven. Or our Father, if you're reading the English translation. Our Father in heaven. We reel off those words and think nothing of them. But in the first century, for anybody to address God as Father, nobody did this before Jesus. Everybody said, Father Abraham. Nobody addressed God or prayed to God as their father. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this is the basis by which you can approach and experience God. And this is huge. Let's say, for example, right now I flew to the United States of America. Let's say that I went to Washington, D.C. and I went up to the White House and I wanted to see the President. I wanted to get in and have a conversation with the President. How much luck do you think I would have of approaching him? Zero. Why? I have no basis. There's no relational basis that I can approach him and walk into the Oval Office. The Vice President can walk in whenever he likes because he has, a, he has a different relationship than I do. But even more important than that, what if the Vice President said, I want you to meet this cool guy that used to live in Tasmania? The President would say, bring him in. Not based on, not based on anything I've done, but based on who the Vice President is. That's like Jesus. Jesus says, you can now experience God like I do. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything I've done. This is the basis we approach God on. God says that from now on, my relationship with you is on this grounds. We have to be careful. We have to be careful with this. This this sometimes creates flippancy. This is a status of relationship that Jesus is talking about here. We are still to occupy a reverence. You know, when I was just reading in Second Samuel this week, God makes a covenant with David and says, I will honour your family and your generations to come and come. Then he speaks of Solomon and he says, And to Solomon I will be a father. And then there's the catch clause. And to me he will be a son. You know, see, so we have a responsibility here in this relationship our Father who is in heaven. No longer do we email God from outside the White House. No longer do you shout with a megaphone. No longer do you relay messages through a set of priestly occupiers. No, no. No, Jesus says you can come and talk to God yourself because of the basis of relationship that I have obtained for you. I just happen to think that Jesus is pretty wonderful. Hollywood be your name. So first we spoke about the, the position that God has elevated us to. Now the posture that we must have. If, you're, if you are going to experience God, and we will talk about this more next week in a message that has been on my heart for, for a long time, which is uh, as it was in the days of Noah. Remember those words of Christ? As it was in the days of Noah. There was something in the heart of Noah that was different to his generation that we need to all embrace. Talk about that next week. But uh, hallowed be your name. And I am, I am so thankful that the translators never drop this word. We've kept it right through. You might hear in, if you actually follow real football, you might hear them speak of the MCG as the Hollywood turf of AFL. It's the home of AFL. It's the home of real football. It's where, it's where the boys stay home and the men come to play football. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, It's golf, brother, you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. But why do they call the MCG the Hollywood Ground? They play AFL on many different grounds. Why? This one's special. Oh, yeah, we play football on many grounds. We play football at the Gabba. We play football at the Metricon Stadium. We play football at York Park, which is now Aurora Stadium in Tasmania. But none of those grounds are like the hallowed turf of the MCG. We don't play the grand final anywhere else. Why? Because the MCG is special. Hallowed be your name, God. Why? Because you are special. Oh, yeah, I'll be your father. You can can come on into the White House whenever you like, but you will address me with reverence. I will occupy a place in your heart that is special. And from this stems a prayer life of adoration. I read one quote this week that said, you know what, I, I decided to make my prayer life 80% adoration and praise and by the time I got finished, I realised that God could take care of all my needs anyway. When I started to reflect and, and worship him for how great he is, I began to realise he'll take care of everything anyway. Hallowed be your name. A.W. Tozer, uh, you would do yourself a favour by reading more of A.W. Tozer's works, but he says, while we are looking at God, we do not see ourselves, blessed riddance. <laughs> yeah. Prayer, C.S. Lewis said, you know what, I've come to the conclusion that in prayer, uh, I'm actually not changing God's will, God's changing my will. <laughs> We're going to get to thy will be done. That's, where, that's, that's the line everybody likes to leave out of prayer. Thy will be done, God. Mm, easy words to say. Let's keep moving on. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And we should pray for God's kingdom to come. We, when it comes to those who do not know God, we should be praying for them. Yeah, it was a good quote, but we'll keep moving on. <clears throat> Thank you. When we pray your kingdom come, we are asking for God's dominion and God's reign and God's rule to be extended in the hearts of men. He doesn't occupy physical territory, His boundaries are measured in the hearts of men. And there are two ways that God has ordained that we can get involved in the salvation of other people two ways proclamation and prayer. We cannot expect people to accept a Jesus they've never heard of. We need to talk about the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. We need to invite people to meet our wonderful saviour. But we also need to pray for them. You need to be praying for that family member. I've seen miracles in my own family. I'm still waiting for more. But I have seen miracles in prayer. There's members of my family that won't listen to me, but they don't have to because I've got another connection. But it's also about his kingdom, his dominion and his reign and his rule. Your kingdom come, God, in my heart. I want you to have more dominion in my life. I want you to have more rule and reign in my life. Your kingdom Come, firstly in us, and then an extension to all. And now the most beautiful part of all prayer. This is the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is thy will be done, not my will be done. But how we get that round the wrong way all too often. I don't know about you guys, but I do. Too many of my prayer times have been tantrums before God. But The essence of prayer is, your will be done. And sometimes we don't like that. Jesus lived this. So many people, I'm going to talk about another circumstance in a moment, but so many people say to me, you know, how can you reconcile this all-loving God and suffering? And I see both of them come together in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know people suffer. I know we go through trials. I know we go through tribulations. But Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, remove this cup from me. Find another way, Father. And then Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus walked the full road of the cross. The full road. And I bet you God wanted another way. But there was another another way. I want to talk to you this morning about a place, and if you're in Lynn and Terry's home group, uh, Harold and Hazel, you've already heard this, and so has Sharon and Noel. One night we spoke about a little place that Timothy Keller, I owe this example to Timothy Keller, but Timothy Keller highlights a place in the Bible called Dothan. And Two important instances happened at Dothan. At Both times people prayed, both times God's will was done, but we can't see it until after the fact. See, in Dothan, there was a little boy that was chucked into a pit, and his name was Joseph. And from the bottom of that pit where his brothers had put him, he cried out to God to be rescued. That's example number one. Example number two, we see Elisha and Gehazi, I think his name is. Elisha and Gehazi, and they're facing a formidable foe that has come against Israel. And Elisha says, hang on a second, Gehazi, you can't see what I can see. And he peels back and asks God to show him. And there's chariots lined up on the hills. And yet again, there is a prayer offered and God sweeps in instantaneously, wipes out the enemy and gives victory. Do you know, both times God's will was done. But if you look at the life of Joseph, you would say, how could you reconcile that? Joseph would go from the pit to Potiphar's house. He would be wrongly accused in Potiphar's house and put in jail. Then he meets the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. And after interpreting their dreams, says, don't forget me. And they forget him. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Oh, hang on a second. I remember a little Hebrew boy sitting in jail and he would become the prime minister Of Israel. He answered to nobody apart from Pharaoh, and if Joseph had not been elevated to that position in Egypt, then there would have been a famine that swept the land and Israel would have been wiped out. God's people would have been wiped out. Both times, two people cried out to God at exactly the same place. Same place, same God, completely different circumstances. God's will was done. Can you imagine being Joseph at the bottom of that pit, praying, Your will be done, God? Imagine if God said, well, this is my will, Joseph. Do you still want me to do it? How many of us would have said, no? Is there a shortcut? Is Is there an option B? So it turns out in prayer, we're not the ones in control. Let's read the next line. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason that that, the fact that that exists in the Lord's Prayer tells me that there are times when it's not. Let's have a look at an example. Is God's will always done on earth as it is in heaven? It is God's will for mankind to be saved. But the obstacles God faces is the pride in our hearts, the the unbelief in our hearts, the the sin that ravages every, every part of us. Yes, God's will is for all to be saved, but yes, there are obstacles. That looks like our disobedience here on earth. And we should pray for God's intervention in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. I love the words of Max Licardo. He says, Our prayers may be awkward, and sometimes they are. Our attempts may be feeble, and they often are. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Your prayers make a difference here on earth. That is conclusively evidenced in the Bible. The reason we have this in, in Luke, the reason that Jesus is spurred on to show us how it is to experience God in prayer is in Luke we see the disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray. We see you running off on your own all the time. Teach us to pray and experience God like you do. There's a world crying out for people who know what it is to experience God, to share with them those experiences. Give us this day our daily bread. And I wanted to focus on those last three words of this part. Can I just say, it is okay, and it is also directed by God, for you to bring your needs to God. It's an act of faith. But these three words are very important. Our daily needs. Needs, not greeds, says one preacher. This is not about all the things you might like. This is not about uh, uh, upgrading cars or getting bigger houses or anything like that. God will give you those things. God blesses us with those things anyway. That's not what it's about. But Give us our daily needs. And immediately that I read this line, I reflected back to Israel in the wilderness when all this manna would come down miraculously from heaven and God says, you only take what you need for today. And there were those that couldn't help themselves. And we'll take a bit for tomorrow and a bit for the next day just in case God doesn't show up. But there is power in the daily needs. There is power in saying, God, this is all I need for today. And there is power in it because we are saying, I know you're going to show up tomorrow. Those that took extra manna, it rotted. Anyway. (laughs) And then the first word is also important. you know Jesus did not say your daily needs? Jesus didn't say, give me my daily needs. That's not what the word says here. It deliberately says, our daily needs. (coughs) The end of Job tells us that his infirmity was reversed when he prayed for his friends, brother Rob. When he prayed for his friends. Give us this day our daily bread. And I would bring you back to the words of, of Christ that we started with. Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor work, but they are arrayed in more splendour than Solomon in all of his glory. God will take care of you. God takes care of us. Now we come down to the part that I would anticipate we all, this, this would be another daily thing. I know this is a daily thing for me. I know that I need to ask God to forgive me daily. There are moments in my life when I don't focus on him like I should do. There are, there are times when, I, when my heart, when he doesn't hold the right place in my heart. I always have to ask for his forgiveness. I am thankful for Christ, who means that I'm able to freely come and ask for this forgiveness, and I freely receive it. There's a clause, we'll get to that in the next line. But other translations will reference this, forgive us our debts. And the transaction of forgiveness is asking for it. You see, because Jesus has already paid the balance. This isn't forgive us our debts and now go and work them off. This is forgive us our debts because why? Jesus has already paid for it. The signing of the cheque comes, friends, when we ask God for forgiveness because there is a humility in saying, I recognise my humanity. Well, I don't know about you guys. You guys look pretty be perfect to me but i know there's plenty of times that i have to ask god to forgive my humanity but there's a clause here forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors there's been volumes written about forgiveness volumes written about forgiveness. But the easiest way to understand forgiveness, and we see this in the person of Christ, forgiveness is absorbing the pain. What happens when somebody hurts you? What happens when somebody wrongs you? You want to gouge their eyes out. You want to get vengeance back on them. You want to You've, you've incurred a debt against me, so I want you to pay for what you've done to me. But what forgiveness does is I'm going to relinquish you of that and I'm going to absorb that pain, I'm going to absorb that hurt. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross. He said all the offences that you will and have committed against me, I'm going to absorb all of those. And he asked us to do the same. I want to highlight something about forgiveness because forgiveness is not spelt foolishness. We are called to forgive people and and we are called to release them of what they owe against us, just as Christ does the same. But foolishness looks like, let me give you an example. If, If I was in business with somebody We were partners in the business and the business was going well and then I come in one morning and he's taken—he's emptied the bank accounts. This guy's taken off. Uh, uh, I'm left with all the debts. Uh, I'm left paying everything off and he rides off into the sunset. Forgiveness looks like, God, I leave this in your hands. I absorb this. I move on. Two years later, he comes back and says, hey, listen, will you forgive me? You've forgiven him. You move on. He says, now listen, I've got this business deal. Foolishness says... You go back into business with that person. That's not forgiveness, that's foolishness. Forgiveness looks like I set you free from anything you owe me, but trust is something you're going to have to regain. Let's finish this as we come to a conclusion. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our our debtors. Forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation. And this is not a solicitation to sin. It is rather temptation here is spoken of as testing. It is spoken of as trials which come upon us. Lead us not into trials. Lead us not into testings. It's a recognition, a humble recognition of our humanity. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer is watchfulness. Jesus warned his disciples to watch more than anything. Watch, stay awake, pray, be alert, keep alert. You hear these words all the time. Why? Because we are in a raging battle. And if you don't realise that, you won't be watchful. Prayer is, is realising that we are human, realising that we have weaknesses, and watchfulness is keeping an eye out. Uh, the, 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 those that were set on the watchtower were placed at the point of the, the castle or the city, and they were to view any threats that were coming on the horizon. And that's what, we, that's what Jesus calls us to do here, to be watchful, to be alert, and to be diligent. Corey Ten Boone, and there's a lady that could teach you about forgiveness, spent some time in the concentration camps and then forgave those who oppressed her in the camps. An amazing story. She would say, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? And what I mean by that is, too often prayer for us becomes, oops, the proverbial has hit the fan, and now I'm going to pray. And what Corey Ten Boone is saying, uh, go ahead and pray when that happens, but you should have already been praying in the first place. In fact, our lifestyle should be a lifestyle of prayer, of seeking God, of experiencing God, because if prayer only becomes your spare tyre, you're in trouble. The vehicle will often skid off the road. Prayer lights fires in a rainforest. Prayer Set sacrifices on fire after you've you've poured buckets and buckets of water on them, Elijah. Prayer absolutely has power in our lives. But prayer is a call for each and every one of us to experience the creator of the universe. Prayer is a call, not for form, not for regulations, but for us to come in relationship with our Father and experience him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each and every one of us here would live lives that experience you on a daily basis. Help us to know you more, Father. Help us to grab the profoundness of that statement, which is our Father the position that you have elevated each and every one of us to, to approach you without any reserves. Right now, Father, I pray and hand every one of us into your hands. Lord, may your will be done in our lives. To your glory, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website.